Welcome back to another episode of the Avoid Crisis podcast uh, with my co-host, Alan Plyler. Alan, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ray. How are you doing? Good to see you. All right. Good to see you. And thank you so much for lining up our guest for today. We're uh, continuing in our uh, journey, the Wizards of AI, and uh, finding uh, finding some some really great jewels and nuggets out here in this rapidly growing AI space. Um, Alan, tell us about uh, how you found our guest today. We're going to introduce you guys in just a second, but we want to give our listeners, you know, a, a peek of what we're, where we're headed today. Well, um, as you know, I mean, first of all, I'm going to introduce uh, both. We got the um, CEO of uh, Pangea Social here, Lawrence Hall, and we have the um, head of growth here, Eric Forst. And uh, to give you a little bit of background of how I met them, I've been going to a lot of the AI uh, get-togethers and networking events, and uh, that's where the VC capital uh, investors and where the founders and a lot of the participants in the AI world have been meeting. And uh, one of the events that I attended, Eric was actually one of the uh, speakers. And so um, he ended up uh, giving a little bit of a speech. He said something about... Uh, his background in writing. And uh, so I walked up to him and I said, uh, you know, I mean, everyone else was trying to talk to him. I said, so uh, you're the poetry man. And uh, with that opening, I kind of uh, got him to loosen up a little bit. And we started talking. And then uh, from that, ended up uh, getting a chance to learn a little bit about what they're doing. And it's a really exciting thing that's happening. Um, and I don't want to take away from a lot of how they can describe it. So maybe we should just jump in and, and talk to them a little bit about what they've done in AI world and uh, this uh, amazing tool that they brought together and where it's going. Sounds great. Um, so w welcome, Lawrence. Uh, so give us a, give us a minute about your background. Eric, we're going to get to you next. I want to hear this story with Alan. But Lawrence, welcome to the show. And uh, uh, introduce yourself, please, and tell us a bit about uh, Pangea. Sure, Social. sure. So Pangea was was... It was born from a desire to improve online discourse. And because we saw such a degradation in that discourse as social media has evolved, the urgency of this has just been rising like every year. And our personal experiences, you know, not only with like divisive, unproductive online interactions, but also with, uh, you know, deeper issues in society. Um, is what really propelled us. And so like, I uh, I think that the thing that really grabs me about social media is that it, it affects our belief structures and it affects them directly and it affects them in invisible ways that we can't really track. So <laughs> when you look at, uh, you know, like the Facebook survey that showed that they could just throw a couple of hundred thousand little ads out there and shift like people's voting habits by three or four basis points that's trouble, you know, and, and, and I think it's the tip of the iceberg. So when I grew up, belief structures were probably what saved us. I grew up during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and it was actually rather traumatizing because I grew up in a small town with two Nike X missile bases. They, I was a Cub Scout, <laughs> so I got to visit, you know, the, the, uh, the control site and talked to the radar techs. And um, as a Cub Scout, I, I asked, how many, how long does it take from the time you pick up the missiles in the Alaska frontier to the time they're gonna hit us right here in town? 
And the guy says, well, you got about 13 minutes. <laughs> and I went wow. back home to my mom and I said, why did you pick this country to move to? <laughs> and she said, you know, they were refugees from the Second World War. They could have picked any country, right? But they picked this one. And she says, well, I picked this country because in World War III, this one is probably going to win. <laughs> and I go, well, okay. <laughs> you know, I still had nightmares for weeks. <laughs> so like it was like, I realized that there are just a handful of guys that uh, – they were they were in a position to push the button, and if they pushed, if any one of the six of them had pushed the button, we wouldn't be talking here today. And when I realized that, I was thinking, "Wow, it was just their beliefs that stopped them. That was the only thing that stopped you know us from annihilation." So I decided beliefs are super important. And when I went to school, I tried to get to the bottom of why some people would choose to destroy the world, and other people would choose not to and try to figure out, well, where does that line of reasoning start? Or if it's not even reasoning, where does it start? Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, as you imagine, a school wasn't really the place where they answer that question. So I had a, I had a, well, let's say, a very interesting ride through, uh, I don't know, Exeter and Columbia and, you know, one in maybe 10 professors would even, you know, just tickle the subject a little bit, I started finding out things that um, that I found quite disturbing about philosophy and science and how it was all developed. <laughs> you know, one of the most disturbing things was um, I, I, I took operations research as a major and studied linear programming. And I realized that linear programming is a way to make a lot of money. And yet, it was completely heartless. I mean, when a linear program optimizes the economy, there's no heart in it. You know, it will just like reassign resources based on profit, profit alone. And it occurred to me that there was going to be a problem because eventually that profit motive was going to make people really unhappy. They might be making more money than ever, but they were going to be miserable because everything they cared about was being just completely swept away. So, I thought there had to be a better way. <laughs> there had to be something there, and uh, you know, my um, I don't know. It was a it was a rather depressing time. So, like my first job out of uh, out of Columbia was working in a um, a tax leverage limited partnership brokerage that had a trading program that I was assigned to. Uh, it was like a little service bureau for. Pro the first bunch of program traders. <laughs> so if there was any great, you couldn't imagine, it was really, the movie Trading Places was exactly where I was working, except that the timeline in the movie was compressed. You know, like what happened during the span of the movie would take three years where I was working, but it would still happen anyway. You know, you know it's, it sounds, Lawrence, like you had a lot of different thoughts um, and there's a lot of balance that you're talking about. One is that, you know, people need to work in order to make money. And at the same time, what they do and how they express their thoughts, it really has an influence on other people. And we see that in the work environment, we see it in the media. And from all those different experiences that you had, you had the opportunity to make a lot of money um, and you may have done pretty well, but at some point you had a turn to where you said, okay, I'm now gonna focus on this. Yeah. And that focus on this, what was that? What was the moment well, that kind of drove you to that? It was really, it was really hard on my health working with these people who were total egomaniacs, and <laughs> and they, 
I couldn't do it anymore. At a certain point, as as much as I as I wanted to just make make enough money to retire and just get out of there, I couldn't I couldn't even hang on quite long enough for that. So I looked at everything I did, and the programs I was managing were actually very interesting. They were some of the first programs that used options to predict when the stock prices were going to, you know, because the theory was the, sure. uh, the options were were being bought by people who are a little smarter. So so what they did in their trades were, were going to be a, a presentiment of what the market was going to do. So, so we had that program, and it was actually um, used as one of the eight primary programs at Bear Stearns, which is how that company was keeping itself afloat. It like every, you know, every month we, we had to build Bear Stearns for this indicator that we were, you know, carefully uh, mm -hmm. curating. And, and so, uh, you know, I learned that this was, this was a big, big time deal. You know, I could see that program trading was going to be the future. We were the first, you know, and I saw that the most valuable thing about it was the AI. It was the idea that you, the, the computer could detect something that the people could not that there was something in all that data, all those options trades added up to a meaning that was beyond the reach of a human being and you had to use a computer to get to it. So I, I studied that subject um, thoroughly and found all the best researchers at that time, this was like, you know, 1985, six. The best ones were all at CMU. I mean, Jeffrey Hinton, the father of uh, neural nets, he was at CMU. And Herb Simon, the Nobel Prize winning economist, um, CMU, and um, the guy who, who pro, you know, proposed the idea of hell climbing and AI where the AI is self-optimizing, also CMU. So I, so I said, I got to head over to CMU and I moved to Pittsburgh. People on Wall Street thought I was nuts. You're going to give up this career here? I had offers at all these like institutions and, like, and I probably should have taken one or two, you know, like looking back on it, it would have been a much easier life. But, well, you, you were like right there at Three Rivers Stadium. So, and yeah, I really was. I actually made a yeah. wish that I would work for some kind of like important company right there at, uh, you know, there's this, there's this train plaza they, they renovated into Station Square, which is like mm -hmm. you know, a really nice shopping sure. mall. And so I sat on a bench at Station Square and I said, I make this wish now. I'm going to have a really great job here at Station Square with really great people. And, and what was really weird is I had just finished my first day at work at that at a job just like that. Went down to eat lunch, sat on the bench, and says, damn, it's the same damn bench. I got my wish. <laughs> you know, Eric, I don't know if you know this, but uh, where Pittsburgh is, there's two rivers that come together to form the Ohio River. They, um, you know, you've got the Allegheny coming in there, and then you've got the Monongahela. Um, um, Yakagini branches that come back in and uh, they form the uh, the Ohio at a place called Point Park. But right around that area, there is a uh, replica steamship type thing called the Gateway Clipper. And uh, that's a big uh, thing to get your celebration for. So, you know, when you guys go public, maybe uh, you can like go ahead and charter out the <laughs> Gateway Clipper and bring back some memories of, uh, you know, the time that uh, Lawrence has been here in um, in, uh, in <laughs> Pittsburgh, so yeah, well, it's a crazy city. Uh, yeah. Really, uh, I think the best thing about the city is it kind of forges you because you you become very internal in a city like that. You you, you start to f focus on what you believe on, and 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 you you try to make it a life, you know, a real life. You know, like you say, this is what I believe in. I want to enjoy the whole thing, and and so you get these these great artists like Martha Graham, or you know, they they they, they end up. 
they end up never letting go of their dream, which is you know what I what I like about Pittsburgh. But so, on the so downside, was, it's a tough place to make a, a buck. <laughs> so, so that was so Pittsburgh was the was the route was the where where I think then your AI, you know, path started. Yeah. So jump us now forward then to how Pange how you then implemented that in Pangea sure. Social, and then yeah. once we get that foundation. Eric, I tell you, you're on. The, you're on. You're up next, and we're going to talk well, about how do we take that idea and grow it. So, what? What? Just, what, just before you jump into that, I wanted to just add one other thing about, um, you know, um, when Lawrence is talking about CMU, you may not know just how much tech is involved in Pittsburgh, but autonomous driving, um, a lot of the fundamental logic that we have in autonomous driving. So, think about all the different vehicles that are out there right now comes from learnings that came from the tech centers in Pittsburgh. And part of the reason was that it was one of the most difficult places to drive around. And so they figured what a, what a wonderful battleground to test the tech. So, you know. <laughs> I, uh, I, I got to see one of the very first autonomous driving projects at Pittsburgh. And uh, it was pretty funny because, you know, you, you, you get a bunch of very young grad students and they, they put together this algorithm. And so like there's this autonomous vehicles trying to follow one of those twisty paths through campus. Mm -hmm. And and so it shows the camera, it shows what the camera sees, it shows every single thing, it, it identifies objects, like where the edge of the path is, where the trees are and all that. And so like it's it's coming up the path and it's doing fine until this, this female jogger runs by with her white pants and her white shorts and her white shorts are like wiggling around. Sure enough, the thing goes, draws a thing around the white pants and starts following her. Sure enough, a bunch of grad students like right, right, right. would latch on to the jogger and follow her. You know, we're we're, we're going to come back to that concept. We're going to talk about bias in AI. But I want again. I want to get to the foundation. How how Pangea, you know, you, that that it got started, and then we're going to talk about yeah. the growth of that idea, and that's where Eric's going to come in. So so we Eric and I, we, I had a startup earlier uh, called Synapsify, and we had taken um, the dictionary that was uh, the WordNet dictionary, and used that in, in com combination with some sentiment detection algorithms. To, to, to do, you know, like this early sentiment detection stuff for people, like, uh, you know, to keep track of how well their marketing was doing and that kind of thing. So the, um, the problem was the dictionary was never enough. It was always, it never had the right terms in them. The terms weren't weighted properly. We needed some way to automatically construct dictionaries. And I, and I probably spent half of our burn <laughs> trying to construct an automatic dictionary constructor. And um, didn't quite get there. But along the way, I realized that there had to be some fundamental ordering concepts that would enable me to do that. So two years, two and a half years after we folded that company, I did discover some fundamental algorithms that would lead us to automated dictionary construction. And that's where that's where Pangea really started because once I realized that the, the computer could figure out the real meaning of words, not like some kind of fake meaning, but really the real deeper meaning of words, then I realized that that meaning was the very thing I was struggling for from the beginning of my life, which is where do these beliefs that you have to not press the button, 
Where do these beliefs come from? And what is the meaning of those beliefs? Interesting. Okay, so we now have an AI algorithm that you've developed. Um, you're launching it under the entity Pangea Social. And uh, Eric, what is the path for growth? How, what's the business model and how does this get monetized? Um, where, you know, maybe either of you, where's the funding coming from to start this and to take us on the journey from here now that Lawrence has kind of set us up to this point? Sure. Um, that, I'm happy to take you through that. I, I do want to just back up a step and talk a little bit about how I got to know Lawrence and, and work with him on this project. And then I'll, and then I'll segue into the growth path. So um, as Lawrence mentioned, when, when, uh, when we met, he had this startup called Synapsify and I had been working um, with AI at a company called Visible Technologies from 2007 to 2012. We were one of the first companies that did social media sentiment analysis. And, you know, we had positive, negative, neutral sentiment. We used machine learning and NLP and it was, you know, it was pretty good. And, and we had sold it into the Obama for America campaign and they were using it for precinct level sentiment analysis. And, um, and you know, it's one of the great regrets of my life that a few years later, Cambridge Analytica picked up on that technique and they, you know, per perfected micro-targeting content based on precinct level sentiment analysis to kind of, you know, create this, this authoritarian movement around the globe on social media. And so, um, so when I met Lawrence, you know, he had 32 different dimensions of sentiment in a much more nuanced way of thinking about it. And, and, you know, as he mentioned, we ran into these, these scaling problems with this manual dictionary construction. So, um, so I was really excited a couple of years ago when he, when he filed the new patent um, that forms the basis of Pangea Social and, uh, and, and we had a way to really address the root cause of um, this sort of social media dystopia that has been unleashed on us by these algorithms. So, um, so, so the problem is that you have ad supported social media and when you have an ad supported network, when you're, that's how you make your money, you optimize the algorithm for moral outrage. And, you know, you can look at the social dilemma or you can read um, Twitter and the tear gas by Zainab Tufechi. And, you know, they, they interviewed all the engineers at YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, and they all admit, yeah, this was the, the, the easiest way to increase time and attention on our platforms was to just get people really angry. And, you know, Lawrence, has a way of describing it as a cognitive black hole of addictive anger that these algorithms have created. So our vision is to not do that and to monetize through subscriptions. And, you know, I think Elon Musk came to that conclusion that he doesn't like having to rely on advertisers either. And he's been trying $7 blue check marks and $16, you know, creator um, models and all kinds of ways to try to get subscription revenue. But but that really is an essential component of this to change the incentive structure, which is that instead of this sort of implicitly gamified experience where, um, you know, we give the big platforms all of our content, all of our time and attention, and in return, we get a dopamine hit. Um, Lawrence and I have a vision, which is let's have a circular economy where people are paying into the platform through a subscription model and they have the possibility of getting all or all of their money back if they optimize their content to the algorithm. And if they do that, they get points. 
and they get they get recognized on a leaderboard and that point system um, can translate into a reward structure. Um, so that's that's our vision, our roadmap for how to monetize this. Um, and um, at this point, we've been completely bootstrapped, 100% bootstrapped, no outside investment. Um, our vision is to raise most of the money through crowdfunding because, you know, we really envision what Lawrence and I think of as a circular economy where the creators are the ones who are putting in a little bit of money and potentially getting all or most of it back where the top writers could potentially make a living uh, through their earnings using our platform. And so we, so we see crowdfunding as a way to, to really remain in alignment with the ethos of this, of this platform and of this AI. Um, so, so that's, that's what we're looking at. We are, we are also talking to angel investors right now um, and are open to very mission aligned angels who, uh, who like our vision and want to support it. You know, uh, one thing that you may not <clears throat> be aware of, uh, Ray, is that um, I've uh, actually done quite a bit of work with the uh, Pangea social platform. Um, Eric permitted me, um, based on my writing background, as you know, I wrote the, the uh, Chicago Sun-Times uh, for a number of years, and I also was the editor of my college newspaper. And um, so I had a lot of different writing background and style, and I went to uh, to use the Pangea social site as uh, one of the beta testers. And I got to tell you, I was amazed at the algorithm. Um, I was really surprised at how it was able to direct me to communicate in a more um, effective manner and in a more structured type of uh, discussion. Because what I found from my writing, and Eric can attest to this because he saw some of the samples, uh, was that it was very much a one thought upon another thought where the reader would have been a lot better off just getting a, a simple statement at the beginning and then going further. And it could be just part of the writing style, but the point that I'm making is that I think the same thing that I do is in my writing is just to communicate the way I normally communicate. And I think a lot of people do that in their emails and a lot of people do that in their conversations and they write something or even prepare a paper. And what this really does is it really helps you to understand that certain words have tonality to them that people interpret in a way that you may not understand yourself. So there were many suggestions because the, the site itself will say, well, here's some, uh, some things that you should really think about changing. And what is interesting about it is that it really does follow a lot of the logic of uh, other AI models that I use. So, you know, I use AI every day. I'm building a lot of things on my own founder level. So I'm doing a lot of different things that are kind of fun and exciting. We can't talk about them now, but I am using AI. And what I'm seeing from Pangea Social is that they are a step above even some of the uh, large language models that we have right now. I don't believe can do what Pangea Social is doing. So if there's any investors out there that are interested, uh, you've got Lawrence <laughs> and uh, Eric to start talking to, but uh, you know, you're gonna have to work through me because I'm gonna try to step in in front of them, so. <laughs> so so l let's talk about this a little bit about how it identifies these, the, the type of language and whether it's a word that is inciting, you know, uh, certain emotion versus being more neutral, being more inclusive. Um, I've read words like this on the on the website. Um, uh, Lawrence, how, how does it how does it 
how does the mm-hmm. algorithm do that? And is it learning from the community as it goes along? Too? Yes, yes. So, so you you have in the dictionary. It's a dictionary of bigrams. So each word combination is being tracked separately from each other word combination. And then it turns out that some word combinations have more dimensionality of meaning than other word combinations. So, so some bigrams are flatter and some have a kind of a bushier way of reaching out into other words. And what, what all, these, all these suggestions come from is the desire to get your writing to branch out faster so that you're touching more of the, the world of meaning and you're doing it with less words. Interesting. It, it, is there a risk of either of certain kinds of bias, like let's say cultural or gender or age? You know, what, yes. what, how are you addressing bias this area? Bias is an interesting um, phenomenon when you look at the map that <clears throat> it internally draws of what you've written, because it looks at bias as a way, uh, as, a, as a case where you, you branched out into something that's sort of a dead end. And it could be a dead end for two reasons. One one reason might be that um, nobody's can understand you. <laughs> you know, like you you said something that is kind of like like a bit of a non sequitur. So that's a dead end from that standpoint. And then the other dead end is where you've said something that is is just leads to more of the same. Like <laughs> you said something that's kind of like a, a tautology or self reinforcing yeah. viewpoint, you know. So like it, if, if it turns out there's like five ideas you believe in and they all just point to each other, that's very bad. And, and the dictionary can find that. So, so when you, you know, when, you, when you're getting this guidance, it's, it's trying to keep you uh, what we call open-minded. It's trying to keep you and your audience on an open-minded frame. And that we think is what, what really is the driving force behind Socratic dialogue. I mean, all the things that Socrates taught was to um, to become more open-minded and not to ever give up the struggle. Interesting, interesting. Um, Eric, how do we take this model and grow it? Where, 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 what, what, what's your path or plan or your vision for how we get a critical mass of users to, to really give this thing some legs and to, and to go? So yeah, there, there are a couple of things. One is um, really honing in on the ideal beta tester, which is someone like Alan who loves to write, um, who is very thoughtful about the way they like to use language and really is, it has maybe had an experience of a human editor and they really enjoy the way that Pangea can provide that kind of external guidance, that more objective viewpoint of what you're doing that a human editor, a really good human editor can give you. So, so we've identified uh, a great group of beta testers who, who fit that profile, who are you know, using the, the initial um, beta product that we have and giving us feedback on how we can make it better. Um, beyond that, um, the next phase is how do we you know, go viral? How do we create this critical mass? And you know, that is going to involve really influencer marketing, just kind of, you know, and so we have um, some great advisors lined up who have communities of, you know, 300,000 people or millions of people who um, are in our beta group. And um, so, you know, as we get the product a little closer to, to being ready for production, uh, where we add uh, some more of the critical features that need to get added, like right now it's just a writing editor. And so we're getting ready to add the conversation thread component. Um, that's where we can then start bringing in, um, you know, you and Alan and, and other 
uh, early fans that we have of the platform who have communities and getting them to bring their existing communities onto the platform because they see the value in it. Um, a lot of these people would be what we would call journalist activists. Um, so they're really interested in the way that belief structures um, inform online communications and are very passionate about how we can transform social media into a, a place that supports democracy rather than tears it down. So, so are these beta writers more like a journalist type of person or bloggers influencers? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the profile. That's, that's our ideal uh, beta tester for right now. We believe that from that core group, uh, it will really accelerate because these are people who are good writers also. And so just like in the early days of Facebook and Twitter, you know, it's something like 80% of the people wouldn't write a thing. They just like to read what everyone else was writing. And so, we, you know, we think there's a lot of people who will come here um, because it's really entertaining. There's going to be great content, great conversations, optimized using this algorithm. Um, and, um, you know, just like people, like I pay $50 a year to have that premium medium subscription so that I can see the best stuff. We believe there are a lot of people who will come to Pangea Social for that same reason. You know, I wonder, Ray, if you can pull up the website and just kind of show our audience a, a little bit about that. And maybe we can just talk about some of the things that it actually does. Sure. Let me get that up here. Give me one second. I mean, one of the things that, that, that I think is really interesting is the fact that it gives you almost uh, instantaneous feedback. Um, and, and so you, we won't be able to see it because we're not going to be able to actually log in and do a demo of it. And, uh, yeah, but right but, there on that screen, yeah, yeah on the screen, this, it's, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Eric. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah it's basically a Grammarly style interface. So mm -hmm. whatever you're writing, it will automatically highlight uh, areas that you should address, and then it gives guidance, like Alan was saying, hey, consider removing these words. It doesn't tell you what to replace them with. Uh, it forces you to think about how you could say it more concisely. And when you follow that guidance, it, as Lawrence was saying, it it, it creates a higher dimensional way of expressing an idea that. Uh, will engage a conversation and engage a more open-minded conversation. And so I, I, that was the landing page. I'm clicking over onto the how it works. Mm -hmm. um, oh, here, 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 here you are, Eric. Look at yeah, that. yeah. There's a little little demo video that we have there for our beta testers, so they can see mm -hmm. me using it in action. And um, and we've got you know you know these little help help tool tips that pop up when you're using the editor. So um yeah so it's um it's uh it's it's the early days um but we have a, a functional live product and um and, and a lot more work to do yeah you know i i think that that's something too as, as far as we talk about the path um there's a lot of ideas that you have that you're continuing to do building of those and incorporating that into the overall product and um you know there's lots of things that as a beta tester that you would be able to see and really get an advantage of because you have an immediate feedback loop and you're able to use um, the improvements of what you're writing immediately. So if you're posting somewhere else in a blog, you're going to have a lot better response because that's really what the algorithm is getting at. If you are delivering communications live and you want to have a prepared set of statements, it's a wonderful way to do it as well. Um, so you can go ahead and put things in and then it will tell you that, okay, this isn't really effective for your audience. Um, and it, it won't tell it you in that direct way. It'll say you should consider the following changes, which, you know, for me was almost every word. I was trying to figure out how bad I could score 
and I was successful. And then I finally worked through and I wrote a wonderful piece where I scored really high. And I was like, that is really good writing though. And, and so I kind of, I'm a validator of saying that, you know, given my writing experience and everything, I know that it definitely is taking advantage of AI in a way that, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the other models that are out there can do. So again, going back and saying, you know, I believe that the Pangea Social is really onto something and they need to get funded and they need to continue the work they're doing. I know, Ray, we're coming up on our time here too. Was there anything else you wanted to ask? Um, I, I wanted to throw out one other idea to Lawrence and Eric. And um, I, I do love, Alan, how we do these things. It's really fresh. We don't rehearse. We don't talk about questions we're going to ask and things like that. So, you know, look at these guys. They're laughing already going, oh, okay, where are we headed? But um, Okay, I'm a CPA. I'm a technical guy, right? So I do a lot of technical writing where you know use specific words and stuff like that. Um, and and I want to talk about the evolution of this of the concept of what you're doing. I think it's fantastic, by the way. I think that I've avoided a lot of social media for the very reasons, Lawrence, that you talked about earlier. It's just you know, it's just it's it's anyway, it incites anger and excitement and outrage and that, you know, I just don't want to, I don't need that. I don't want to do that. I got enough of that other areas. So, but I'm thinking of a business use case for this thing. And we talked about influencers, bloggers, social media, marketing PR seems like the next logical evolution of a business use case of this tool, this, this model. And I think there's an incredible amount of value that a marketing PR type of professional could gain from using your tool. So I would just encourage you, have you thought about the business use cases for the Pangea social tool in the future? Yeah, we. that's been presented to us by people who have looked at it. And uh, there's a couple of things that the business people want. Um, they they want to get everything done better and faster and cheaper. <laughs> so so you know my 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 attempt to become a novelist using my own tool isn't going to really interest them at all. But <laughs> the uh, but the thing that they would like is is maybe the uh, uh, the same the same guidance that uh, that we provide now, but maybe you know fed into like some kind of a model that would then spit out. The <laughs> The finished text based on the guidance and like, you know, that we, we probably will will provide that real soon. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't even see it as a finished text. Right. I, the way I see AI currently is it's a great place to start. Maybe even one or two iterations to try to polish. But then the final version that you're going to send out really should have your own edits. Oh, and touches on it. Make, make yeah, it your own. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, when you when you look at what a large language model can produce, and uh, and by the way, we you know we <laughs> we use ChatGPT to answer those questions too, and just to see what it would say, and uh, it said stuff that's uh, you know very copacetic, you know, <laughs> it's like a, you know it sounds reasonable, but it also sounds kind of boring, and it's because uh, ChatGPT is a is an average of what everybody in the world is saying, and so you're not going to get like you know surprises, except when it hallucinates. Yeah, and another point of that, which is going back to, you know, if you think about it from the strategy that they have, they're taking a collection of very and brought them into the beta testing. Alan, you right. cut out there for a second. Um, 
guys, can you tell us? There's been a lot of Chat GPT in the news lately, oh, okay. and you know, uh, Man, uh, okay, now you're still now you're still cutting out, Alan. Yeah, um, screen's frozen. Where, where do you guys see the future of AI? Where are we at now, and where are we going with AI? There's a it's so moving so fast. And Alan, when you come back, we'll get your question back on. But you're still a little fuzzy. Well, I can, you know, I, can I can say a little bit about having some time. So. <laughs> You can say a little bit about it. I mean, I, I, I kind of I had this analogy that came to mind. It was like AI is kind of like the bear in the novel Shardik. He, he kind of barges into the plot line from time to time, completely wrecks everybody's plans, and then disappears. And <laughs> it's like every five, ten years, you know, it, it, like for a while, you know, Japan thought we were going to eat their lunch with AI, and the AI company I worked for in Pittsburgh got a huge amount of their funding from Japan because it was like, you know, the Japanese were scared to death that we were going to take over software with AI. You know, of course, it was premature. It didn't happen, but it could have happened <laughs> if they hadn't overplayed their hand at the company I worked at. But, uh, you know, now LLMs are like looking like they're going to eat everybody else's lunch. And, and, and sure, I think there's a good chance that because of what's going on at, uh, <laughs> open AI that, you know, you, you'll end up with Microsoft, you know, having a monopoly on some kind of product in AI that will probably, you know, drive the, you know, the, the, the GNP of the country up, you know, three or four percentage points. It could easily happen. But at the same time, we're going to have this problem that's like, uh, you know, massive collapse in trust and, and you know, there's going to be disinformation like we've never seen before because it's produced automatically. <laughs> Oh, man. computer <laughs> so we we could very well end up in in world war three with the fabulously successful version of microsoft and that that doesn't wow. really sit very well with me no way uh eric what do you think where, where where do you see us going with with ai i i i come to i i tell people often like a lot of tools man has come across it can be used for good or evil um yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 I, I see both pathways really clearly. Um, my friend David Pasiak has created an amazing platform using um, custom GPTs on OpenAI where, um, and he's been posting just his journey all year on Facebook of, you know, and he, he was a religious study scholar at Princeton in their PhD program. And so he, you know, and I, I worked with him at Visible Technologies 15 years ago. So he's got a really interesting background in tech and um philosophy and you know he he loves using open ai chat gpt as as do i it's like the ultimate tutor the ultimate co-pilot the ultimate assistant that can you know create copy that you would have never thought of that's really good um it 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 does open our ability to think in different ways and to have this collaborative assistant that's really powerful so I think that that what large language models are doing in many ways is fantastic for the people who have embraced it and are using it. And so he's figured out how to engineer all these business workflows that just give you 10x productivity gains. But like Lawrence was saying, you know, there's no uh, there's no ethics to that. And, you know, and it's based on the ethical model of that linear capitalism that makes people really unhappy. So, you know, it's not everyone who who can find that 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 wonderful engagement out of an out of an AI assistant that is super smart and, and and can provoke you to think of new things that you wouldn't have thought of. 
So, so, so I think it is going to need these ethical guardrails that have to be a different model, a different paradigm than a large language model, than a, you know, than running Boolean queries in a giant matrix. And that's what Lawrence has invented. You know, he's using these dynamic language trees that, um, that really structure language in a way that's more human, that's more thoughtful, um, and that really does open your mind. And, um, you know, if you think of kind of what makes authoritarian thinking, it is closed-mindedness more than anything. And so, you know, to the extent that uh, Lawrence's model opens your mind and it and it kind of forces you to, to think um, in a higher dimensional way, OpenAI doesn't do that necessarily. It does wonderful things, but um, it really, um, you know, brings us into a potentially terrifying future if we're not careful with it. Thank you, Alan. I think you're back. I, you, you, I you had a closing question for us. Um, I was just making the point that um, the AI learning um, that's taking place at Bengia Social is really interesting because they're using a top tier of writers and they're learning even more from those writing styles and from the words they use. And I just thought that it was kind of interesting to think about the feedback loop that the tool actually has, because I think it would be interesting for every article that I'm looking at on the internet to have a rating before I even look at it, because, <laughs> because I think half of the things that I, I click on, I would not be clicking on if I just looked at the Pangea social rating and then said, okay, I'm not looking at that. And I'd pay for that. Hmm. <laughs> All right. We've, we've gotten that feedback a lot. And so that is definitely one of our, our product opportunities with this. Absolutely. Sounds great. Well, I want to encourage all of our listeners to check you guys out. Again, this is Pangea Social, P-A-N-G-E-A-S-O-C-I-A-L.com, PangeaSocial.com. Um, you can click right there to become a beta uh, user and, and, and participate in, you know, in, in this product development, as we've talked about here in the show. Um, uh, Lawrence, if, if our listeners would like to get a hold of you or contact you in any way, uh, what's the best way to do that? Uh, send me an email and, uh, you want to, you want to broadcast that or you want to go to the website? Just send me an email and get back to you. <laughs> All right. And what was that? That again, it was L L A U. Okay at pangeasocial.com. Sounds great. And Eric, if our listeners want to reach you, how do they reach you? Eric at pangeasocial.com. How do we reach you? I am Ray, R-E-Y, at avoidcrisis.com. And we welcome listener feedback, ideas for stories and guests and storylines. Um, Alan, what about you? What's your contact info? Alan, A-L-L-E-N, at avoidcrisis.com. And we encourage our, our listeners to subscribe and uh, to continue to hear all the different things that we're talking about at Avoid Crisis. We have so many different things to talk about in the future. And uh, the future is going to be very different as a result of AI and by the uh, type of founders that we're talking to today. So I um, hope that people are going to tune in and very thankful to have uh, both uh, you, Lawrence, and Eric today. And thank you for your time. And uh it was really great having you and learning more about Pangea Social. And we hope that uh, you have a great response from this. Thanks, thanks for, for having us. us. Really appreciate right. it. Okay. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. <laughs>